What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geek Exchange Podcast. Tonight, I am joined by Waz, Scoop, and Kroner. My name is Chris, and as you notice, it's an all-dude podcast. Uh, Dude! Amanda's not in town, so apparently we're going to run wild with this, and we're going to see what happens and uh, see what kind of uh, shenanigans we can kind of roll with. So Tonight, we're trashing Fringe for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> fringe, Lego games, like, gone. Yeah. Like, let's bring it on. So. We're going to talk about how to play nicely in Sims 4. You guys can't see it, but I'm just I'm just cooking meat just all over the room right now. Because uh, it's so I, bomby and hot out there. Yeah, because it's in that 24 I've degree nachos the size of a trash can lid and three gallons of beer that, let's do this that does sound good that's not gonna record well <laughs> now i feel like nachos <laughs> you want to like get nachos. you just move you want to make that run out there right now and i don't even know what's out there you even have taco bell in there and, yeah okay we got taco bell taco time taco del mar a place that's it's just, just left, called tacos just left at the moose just left at the moose <laughs> Well, you can go, go, go run to the board. You can grab yourself some nachos. I don't, I don't really like Taco Bell nachos, but that's besides the point. Yeah, so probably the worst nachos to ever get. <laughs> they really are. It's it's like, you know, like nacho cheese. Oh, congratulations, Chris. Nachos. I no longer feel like nachos. Yeah, the you're welcome. nachos are veggie nachos. <laughs> and then veggie Taco Bell nachos. The yeah, any nachos nachos. that don't contain meat. Oh, okay. And then Taco like, Bell with like their vegan meat. Vegan nachos. Is, like, yeah, that's not meat. Their it's, meat, which is 30% meat. It's like a gruel. And like, I never really knew what gruel nachos. was until I saw Taco Bell meat. I'm like, that shit looks like some gruel. <laughs> <laughs> that gruel's tasty. I'm telling you. <laughs> Speaking of tasty gruel. <laughs> <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> When fucking Jon Snow gets poured that what he thinks is wine, that shit looks like some disgusting gruel. It sure yeah, did. That, it does. That didn't look anything like wine, right? No, that it was, was milk. like chunky milk. <laughs> no, that was like some sort of spoiled I'm pretty milk. sure I saw an eyeball in there. Um, yeah. An eyeball. It was like Temple of Doom when that shit just floats from the bottom. Uh, <laughs> That, was, that scene kind of scarred me for life on a lot of things, so... Indiana you know Jones that, did. You know what did that for yeah. me was, um, you guys, in the in the mini-series of It, when uh, when they all go to that oh, restaurant. the and, Chinese uh, restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the most... The tea. What's with the eyes and food? The... Why is that such a thing? It's I don't super know. gross. That whole scene is gross. Like, the fortune cookie with, uh... the, like, the little claws come out of it. Ugh. Isn't there, like, a spider in there somewhere? Spider, I think, in one. One of them had, like, a... Didn't have, like, a little chicken embryo or a fetus or some shit oh yeah so gross (laughs) this actually does sound this actually does sound a lot like the food served in game of thrones at a lot of these (laughs) random places yeah it really does i will say that that between it and arachnophobia that ruined me on spiders like these (laughs) movies have just destroyed my sort of feeling everything pretty easy spiders ruined me on spiders (laughs) (laughs) i thought arachnophobia was hilarious as a kid i love it I, i have no problem with spiders Game of Thrones finale. Jon Snow goes to see Mance Raider. I thought that scene was. I really liked that they uh, they poured one out for regret there, and then it's they weird though, right? They had a drink. That, um, Tormund and Mance all seem to have some weird fascination with Egret. Like, why does every wildling pr- protect her like that? You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. The, the, I kind of have what? a weird fascination with Egret. Oh, I think yeah, I think we do too. <laughs> well, I think that's just only humans. So. Well, it, at least in the show, she's the only female wildling that we see do <laughs> Well, uh, Bran had his wildling companion. Well, oh, that's uh, true. Oh, I mean, uh, of yeah. Mance Raider's, of Mance Raider's yeah. army. And we haven't seen Asha since season 
It was the end of season yeah, three? Season three. Was it, it was three. Was it three? Yeah. They split off. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that struck me about that scene was you could still tell, even though there's a whole lot of politics going on, there's a weird respect between the two. And uh, yeah. I think that yeah, scene yeah. was especially about that. Like, you know, we're on opposite sides of this war, but we still have time. You know, even when they toasted to uh, Mad um, Mad the Mighty, Meg the Mighty. Yeah, and Ren. I love that. When he's like, he's like, he was a, he was a king among his people, the last of a long bloodline. He's like, Gren was (laughs) from a farm. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, absolutely. And what it did, it showed that of, of all guys vying for king, Raider's kind of, he's kind of the, the good one. And you think like, oh, the crazy wildlings are attacking the wall and they're going to kill everybody. But Mance Raider at least lives by a code. Mm -hmm. Compared to like Joffrey or or all these all these other kings who are going to let other people do their fighting for him, Mance Raider has respect for Jon Snow. He doesn't want to see his people killed. Mm. Stannis don't give a shit about that. Stannis just went and bought a new army and immediately <laughs> sent them to attack. You know, it, it's uh and to attack the North. Like there isn't a ballsier thing to do at this moment in Game right. of Thrones. The other thing too, though, is that um, the Wildlings are a democracy, and that's kind of like the the most ironic thing, right? Is that they're the brutal savages of this entire place. And they're they are the most progressive in terms of there's no dictatorship there. You know, if someone disagrees with the king, they've got they're on equal footing. Right. As opposed to watching everybody kiss Joffrey's ass, even though they know he's wrong, you instead get Mance Raider, who uh, when he refused to kneel before Stannis, I loved awesome. with a smirk on his think, face too. Like we do not kneel. And then when he said it the second time too, he's like, despite all that, we or that changes nothing. Yeah. We do not kneel. I'm yeah. a man. I'm a man. Damn it. Well, and there again, Jon Snow <laughs> steps up for Mance Raider and uh, you know secures him as a prisoner instead of just having him executed by Stannis. So there's respect was definitely a big part of that scene. Yeah, well, I and think I think it's also it also goes to show because I think it's just before that or just after John when he goes and confronts Tormund, um, you know, in the stock room or whatever where they're keeping him locked up at Castle Black. Um, Tormund is kind of the same way. I mean, there obviously there's some bitterness there, but he's Tormund was kind of like a big brother to John when he went over to the Wildling side, and you can st- you can tell that they still like each other. You know, yeah. So like that's that's kind of cool to see that uh, you know, especially in the north where things are kind of. I mean, there's a giant wall between them, but especially for the Starks and the Wildlings, there's a lot of similarities between those those two groups of people. There, they, there's kind of an understanding that there, there's a connection between those families. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, they're all from the North, and they understand the North better than anyone else in Westeros. Well, and I think this this also, again, feeds into... You look at Ned Stark's been dead for 31 episodes now, but he's still... The fact that, that John grew up in yeah, Winterfell around around that, that system, his father was a lord. Um, you know, Ned Stark was one of the most powerful men, you know, in all of Westeros. And still, he has this respect for Mance Raider, and he sees how things are north of the Wall, and it's, I think... I I think that's Ned Stark coming through. I think it's the honor over right. uh, politics. And the other thing, too, that's worth mentioning is that Ned's been dead. I don't know how many years or how much, how much time has passed in the show, but it's been a long time since Ned's killed, and his name yeah. still carries weight. Yeah, Stannis um, yep. still asks, you know, if Ned was alive, what do you think he would do? Yeah, and, right. and when, when, they, when he finds John, and, and I think it's Davos who, who asks, you know, What's a what's a what's a ranger doing? You know, uh, with the wildling army, and they say, you know, that's uh, that's Ned Stark's son. Or I think maybe John just John says, says it, it himself. Yeah, I'm John. Yeah. yeah, but you can tell. I mean, that that carries that carries weight. You know, that made Stannis pause. So um, it's it's nice to see that you know Ned definitely got 
got like the short end of the stick pretty early on, but you know it, it, he's got a long-lasting effect on on Westeros, it, especially it, in the north. It's also nice to finally see that pay off because that honor over politics got Ned killed, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. honor over politics got Rob killed, and now finally. Jon Snow is putting it to good use, and it just, it's because, um, and it's like Waz said recently in one of his articles, um, behind Ned Stark, Stannis is one of the next most honorable men in all of Westeros. And so Stannis, and Stannis, of course, puts duty above everything, but Stannis, uh, he respects that about Jon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think another thing that really shone in that scene was, uh, you know, there's still this heavy sense of danger. Um, not from Stannis or not even from uh, the Wildlings, but the Wildlings themselves, when discussing with Jon, they just want to get south of the Wall because there's something else coming. You know, there's still this huge threat with, uh, I'm assuming, the White Walkers and whatever else we got going on up north. And even the Wildlings are fleeing this threat. So I still feel like there's a you know some foreboding in the whole situation, especially when Jon Snow and uh, Melisandre kind of lock eyes for the first time. I kind of got a chill when that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's also well, the- something that um, that I wanted to bring up. Um, I won't get too much into uh, book stuff, just because I know that, uh, I mean, that's something that we might discuss a bit later. Uh, but one thing that I definitely picked up on that I discussed, um, you know, after watching the episode uh, with a couple friends was how important it was when John mentions to Stannis that they burn the bodies, that Melisandre mm-hmm. is not present. Because um, you can tell that Stannis kind of registers that as, uh, you know, something the Lord of Light uh, kind of that falls into his kind of domain there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of whether that's actually his power or not. But you can tell I think it's good. You know, you've seen Stannis brainwashed pretty heavily by her, you know, throughout the entire series it's kind of good to see him kind of process that information on his own without her hand and things and uh it just kind of it's kind of nice to see you know if there's some influence there from the red god you know so far in the north where the old gods kind of prevail over everything well what what i also liked about that exchange between john and stannis you gotta remember this is directly after Mm -hmm. the battle you know he just he just burned a gret they gren pip are dead they just they're fighting the wildlings all night and John walks out there accepting yeah. to die. He doesn't expect yeah, to come back. He's going to go out there. Yeah. He's going to go out there try and kill Man's Raider, a man who he respects, but quit to save the Night's Watch and then Stannis rides in on his horses. There's no fist pump from John. There's no look of excitement because he realizes this isn't the fight. The fight is the right. White Walkers. Yeah. That registered with me real quick that John doesn't even crack a smile. Here it is. He's going to live now. Stannis is there. The Wildling army is going to be de- you know, defeated. The Night's Watch is going to win what they thought was an impossible battle. And yet he still recognizes this means nothing because the threat is still yet north of us. But I think that's kind of a theme from this finale is you know, uh, shifting threats and kind of the things that the rest of the season or the rest of the show kind of built up as being, you know, the direction the story was going here, your good guys here, your bad guys. Um, a lot of this episode kind of, you know, shifted the focus onto other things. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, those, those characters and those allegiances, you know, kind of move and change in season five and moving forward. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a, a shift in power. Go back to season one. 
Who are the most powerful men on the show? Ned Stark, dead. Robert Baratheon, dead. Joffrey becomes king, he's dead. Tywin Lannister, dead. All the power, all the threat, everything from season one has already been shifted. It doesn't, I mean, I know that's, we're at, we're at the end of season four now, but it just shows, most shows don't have such a drastic shift so quick in the matter of a few seasons all of your power players from season one are dead and then even the people in season two started to step up you thought we're going to take power renly dead rob stark dead it's uh there's a constant shifting in power here and it's uh the fact that no one not no one majority of the realm still doesn't even recognize the real threat mm-hmm. yet yeah you kind of see a shift of attention from early on season one the show is really rooted in politics, um, and there's some rumblings. I mean, the show does open with you know something pretty crazy. You get you know reanimated corpses and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's very rooted in, in in politics and you know somewhat of a real grounded world. And there are all these kind of you know you hear whispers of some kind of weird some fantasy. You know, brands hearing stories about giants. People remembering stories of these dragons that used to rule the land. And I think slowly over the seasons you're seeing politics um, is still raging, but it's not really affecting the land as much as, you know, these gods who may or may not be real and have actual power um, and kind of supernatural, fantastical creatures are starting to appear in the world. And I think that's going to keep that kind of attention is going to keep going to something that's a little more, you know, kind of more fantasy rather than um politics as the absolutely i mean this episode specifically this finale it's kind of a tipping point there's such a big shift in the focus like you're saying because we've known supernatural has been out there but it's been you know regal and politics and then all of a sudden we've got you know skeleton warriors bursting out of the ground and um the three-eyed crows appearing and all these extra things are happening that are a kind of a step above what we're used to and i think we're gonna see I don't know if people are going to stop watching the show, but, you know, there's a certain appeal that some fans will not have for this supernatural side of it. Curious to see if there will be any difference, because this episode specifically felt like we're witnessing a changing of how this story is playing out. Yeah, no, I can I can see that. I think there's going to be a responsibility on um, the showrunners to make sure that there is always enough character and enough kind of humanization and a feeling of at least some control. Luckily, I think you know there is enough history to this to this world that if they build it properly and avoid too much exposition, it will feel organic. Anyone who's watched. Um up through season four and isn't invested enough yet to quit because of too much supernatural i don't know i I just they foreshadowed so much if you sat through dragons and white walkers and you know smoke assassins and now you're gonna quit because there's skeletons and and prophecies one step too far i don't know damn it one step too far yeah Yeah, i don't i mean i don't i don't quite get that whole thing i mean it's like it's been like a part of it i mean obviously you've had the ideas of you know dragons kind of built into the the White Walkers and you know beware of the North and everything. So it's like it's all it's just it's a part of the whole thing. So, so for people to kind of freak out over you know a fireball child throwing things and people <laughs> things coming out of the ground and everything like that because it's getting to that, that maybe that's part of it. Just like having you know the White Walkers come out of the ground and you know all of a sudden it's like a horror movie and maybe that took people out of. It. But in my mind it was like. You know, someone who didn't, again, you know, read the books, but he's been following 
behind the show constantly. It feels like it's just a it's a theme that's always been there. So it's kind of interesting to people to be like, oh, that's like way too different. You're kind of taking me way out of my element. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? That's a good point. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's a good that, point. Because also, I mean, uh, a long uh, before Game of Thrones started, how many people would believe that you know by this time in 2014? Um, one of the probably the most popular show on television right now would be a fantasy. Uh, it would be a fantasy yeah. story set in you know an alternate world. That is crazy enough to begin with. Yeah. That you've got you know all of Twitter. The main focus on Sunday night is on a show where you know people put on a suit of armor and uh, there are castles and, and princesses and stuff like that. That would never have, have flown you know not too long ago. So just the fact that that's already holding people's attention, I think, is already a testament and kind of shows that. As long as they handle it properly, they can they can draw from you know any genre they need and then hold attention from an audience. Yeah, I mean this show is not just popular. This is a uh, a couple weeks ago it passed up Sopranos as the most watched show in the history of HBO, and that's uh that's not nothing. You know that's a in this day and age when people have so many channels and so many different options of they can watch Hulu or Netflix or you know illegal downloads that don't count into ratings. The fact that the ratings on on a premium channel are this high for anything is, is outstanding. <laughs> to go from talking about how this show can make anything, you know, feel organic to the show, I do want to say, Chris, you're talking about that uh, that girl throwing uh, fireballs. <laughs> yeah. So that was a point where I was a little bit... It felt you know, a little off. You know what I think it is? It felt it video gamey. Is, is that just me? It did feel it kind me. of video gamey. Skeletons yeah, reminded me of Jason and the Argonauts. They yeah. they were pretty well yeah, done. Yeah, I'll give you that. Like the stop motion. Yeah, they were very well done. They're not as. They, I assumed those were CG. I read a thing today how they shot that scene. Parts of it, obviously, they they shaved things off yeah. using computers. But those are actually they went around and found the skinniest actors they could and put them in green suits. So I mean, there's CG, but there's I mean, um, so you're reacting. A lot to the of shot. it, yeah. A lot of the shots are actually people in costumes. Only it part did look of it. really great. I mean, it looked really good. Um, it felt. I mean, talking about Jason and the Argonauts, it felt a lot to me like Pirates of the Caribbean too. And uh, and and this scene kind of you know reminded me of those kind of the skeleton pirates um, and the way that they kind of blend reality and siege in those in those sequences. Um, especially when you, you know you've got um, uh, that that shot of Jojen. By the way, that is horrifying when you Jojen watching himself get yeah shot yeah. Um, that was a disturbing scene. But I'm I'm pretty sure that that you know that arm there that was practical effects. Um, I yep. don't see why it didn't it it couldn't be. Um, I thought they blended it really, really well. I mean, they 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 ground a lot of the CG in reality, and they they they've shown that before when they show the giants and they do a lot of forced perspective, like they do in the Lord of the Rings movies, um, rather than uh, you know just throw a computer animated giant in the middle of an army of people. Um, it it makes it feel a lot more believable. And, you know, speaking of that scene and the Jojen death, uh, kind of sad to see him go. I, Thomas Brody Sangster, I believe his name is. Um, it is. You know, he's been pretty good. I, I've been enjoying his uh, time with Brandon crew. I was kind of sad to see him go. That's interesting. I don't like Jojen no. at all. <laughs> uh, I'm with Waz. I don't care that he's dead. He's the least interesting of the four to me, even though he should be the most interesting because he's like the wise yeah. guide. But you can I'd only like, be you can only be so cryptic and mysterious before before so he gets stabbed exactly. in the gut repeatedly. 
Yeah, repeatedly. And it's funny that Waz brought up that that part of him getting stabbed. I watched the rewatch the finale today, and there were two parts that really stuck out to me on the rewatch. And we'll get to the other one later because I'm sure we'll talk about it. But one of them was Jojen getting stabbed. When when I watched it Sunday night, I watched it with a group of people, and I guess it it didn't have the same effect as watching it by myself again today. Uh, (laughs) That scene was awesome. That, along with this one other part, just felt so much more powerful the second time you see it, even though you know it's coming. And, uh, I mean, I do credit, as much as I'm not a huge fan of the character, he was acted perfectly. I don't, you know, I don't have any problems with the way Jojen um, was done or acted. He was, uh, they did a good job of him. I just, I was ready for him to be gone. Yeah. Can I just also say, um, Brian, we are the two, uh, we're the half of this podcast, the two people who have read the books. There, this episode had a ton of stuff that is changed, you know, either minor details or pretty large changes to to the story. Uh, that whole sequence uh, played out very differently in the books. Um, yeah, I, I remember when I was watching it on Sunday, I was watching it with other people who had read the books. And I, I remember looking over, I'm like, this uh, this was not how it happened in the book, right? Because I admittedly zoned yeah, out yeah. during a lot of the brand chapters. So I, I was like, did I just forget all of this stuff? No, it definitely didn't happen, but I think that it's kind of nice. I mean, there's there's an interesting balance where when the show is following pretty closely uh, with the books and then they make a change, it tends to rub people the wrong way, uh, me included, despite myself. You know, I don't like to think that I'm uh, holding the source material over the show too too much. Um, but when it starts to, admit it. <laughs> oh, I, I, I will... I have and I will admit it. I am a book fan. <laughs> um, but but I, try, I try to uh, to, to be objective and, and enjoy it. And I find that, you know, the further they get uh, and start making their own choices, the more I do like what's going on. And I think that this sequence in particular was an example of that. Like, I don't know, Brian, how you felt, but I was, you know, I was surprised when things were happening differently. But it was very easy for me then to just kind of sit back and enjoy it and, and you know, be really curious about what's going to happen moving forward now. As much as I love burst material, I haven't had a problem with most of the changes because I realized, especially early on, like in season two, they took out one of my favorite storylines. There's a whole storyline with Arya, uh, which is not in the show. I understand why it was cut. It was cut for time and for budget. But most of the the changes they've made, I have no problem with because I understand why they're made. Mm Mm-hmm. Recently, though, there there have been a few. They're excluding whole characters, and I I'm not always exactly sure why. I know a lot of people are upset that Strong Belwaz is not in the show, yeah. which uh, for people who didn't read the book, he should be a character with Daenerys right now. But uh, for the most part, I, I'm not as nitpicky with the changes as I thought I would be because I I feel like most of the changes have been made. It, it, it's not like a Skip Woods Wolverine movie where they take good. <laughs> Source and you gotta bring that back in. Skip Woods has now made it into like five podcasts. It's like he's a writer. He won. He's like he's yeah. He's basically a senior editor. You're giving him press. (laughs) (laughs) Senior editor. Brian, I think you're right. And, um, uh, you know, two of my favorite moments in the show have been surprises that they've added that I that I absolutely love. And one of them is back in season two, I believe. There's a scene just after a battle with Rob 
and uh, Talisa. Is that her name in the book? In the show, what's what's uh, Rob's wife's name? It was on the show. It's Talisa. I don't know in the book because I do know that it was like what a different name or character. She's, she's not even in the book. It's yeah, like, it's, 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 it's like different. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, um, so she goes up and she she talks to uh, to Catelyn, and Catelyn tells the story about of, Jon uh, Snow. John getting sick and yeah. her praying for his death, and then uh, you know he starts to to die, and then she prays for him to live, and then that was one of the most touching um, monologues I've. I remember from the show, you know, it's really memorable to me. It's one of my favorite pieces of dialogue in the, in the entire series. Um, and I was really glad they put that in because it really fleshes out Catelyn, who a lot of people don't like um, in, in the books or the show. I've always really had a soft spot for Catelyn. You know, I really sympathize with her in a lot of ways. And I kind of like the dynamic that she and John have. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that little piece of dialogue really um, fleshed her out in a way that I don't think she she had an opportunity in the books. And uh, the second the second one is a change that they make uh, where, yeah, it's season four where Bran uh, is making his way north of the wall and he almost has a run in with John um, yeah. and uh, which doesn't happen. They never come close to crossing paths in the books, but he has an opportunity where he could, you know, run out and see John and, and abandon his journey uh, to the three eyed Raven. And he, and he makes his choice that he's going to uh, stick on his journey and not know, not let John know that he's alive. And um, that was a really, really good decision because otherwise, uh, you know, Bran's sort of taken on this ride that he doesn't really show any real control over, um, you know, physically or, you know, in, as part of the show. And I think that was really important to establish that he's not just being dragged, you know, by Jojen and some weird prophecy. He's actually, you know, he wants this for himself. And that's something that was really nice to see. So, there, you know, the show is doing a lot of really good things with the material. And I really trust them. Um, there, But I agree, there are a couple things that I'm a little offensive see, about. Um, well, and that was my whole point is I trust uh, Benioff and Weiss because unlike the aforementioned screenwriter that I won't bring up again, uh, <laughs> they're taking good source material and they're changing it, but they're not giving us garbage. You know, they're changing it for logical reasons and I understand most of it and they're still giving us a great, great product. I do want to say though, um, the child, that children of the forest girl who throws that fireballs, if you're going to have someone throwing you know, some magic fire. You got to learn to throw. That was a bad arm on that little girl. <laughs> That's not a, that is not a Super Mario throw, was it? No. No, that was, that was disappointing. That's what they remind me of, Super Mario Fireballs. <laughs> That's what I said, the video gamey thing. That's why I thought you were following me on that one. You know, as a non-reader, I mean, I have started the books recently, but for the most part, I haven't read anything past, like, Chapter 5, so... Hearing that uh, Game of Thrones, the TV series, is changing things and that book fans are unhappy with it, I love that. Because <laughs> all you ever hear is like, oh, well, it was better in the book. Or, oh, just wait. Just wait until this part of the book. And now it's like we're kind of on even ground. Maybe you don't even necessarily know what's coming up because they're changing a little thing here and there. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. That's a that's a great point. There's uh, There's... Because of changes in the show, it's made knowing what's going to happen, it's made things more exciting. Because now I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, like earlier this season, the episode that, that was referenced earlier at Craster's Keep, when John and Bran almost interacted, we didn't know what was going to happen because that didn't happen in the book. You didn't know if, if John was going to you know send Bran on his way or if they were going to totally change things and Bran was going to go back to Castle Black. Or um, So it, it's kind of interesting not knowing what's going to happen. There's been a lot of changes like that. Like we said earlier, I, just, I have faith in De uh, Benioff and Weiss that they're going to... Um, they know where they're taking us. 
you know, there's so much that happened in this episode, and uh, we only covered a couple bits of it. Um, one thing that obviously stood out to me, we've been talking about it for the last few episodes now, um, and that's Tyrion and his the result of his trial by combat, which... Uh, the event. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I like I said, I haven't read any of the books, so what happened tonight, or what happened in the season finale uh, was a bit of a shocker for me. Uh, I didn't well, expect it to go down like that with Tywin and with Shay either. That was quite a powerful scene, watching right. Tyrion... Uh, strangle out Shay. Well, I mean, it's like, it, what I loved about it is, like, you had the two contrasts and, like, these, you know, he finds Shay and it's like these two people that used to love each other and now they're kind of going at it just to kind of, like, survive and, you know, that's pretty much what, you know, Shay was trying to do this whole whole time, like, doing what she can to survive. She's on her own and then when they obviously fell for each other but when Tyrion, you know, more or less said, like, you know, to, to try to save her, just go, you know, go away or whatever like that she became a survivor and she latched onto whatever thing and it ends with this whole thing where he's like it was heartbreaking to see that scene where he's just lying laying there on the side of the bed holding on to whatever necklace or whatever it is and then you see it finally pans over you know to the two shot where you see her her you know dead fa- lifeless face and he's just like you know breathing just like like it came down to this and like like there's nothing left and in the comparison to where he walks into Taiwan and he's just like I know what I'm f***ing doing now. Well, because that scene specifically, when he... Like, it struck me, obviously, Peter Dinklage, we've been so impressed with him all seasons of Game of Thrones, especially this one. Yeah. When he's holding on to that necklace, and, and then he just kind of lets it go, yeah. you, know, you really feel that he's not just letting go of the necklace. He's letting go of his own you know, inhibition to do what he feels he has to do. He's done that to Shay. He's killed her. He's released that kind of part of him. So now, at this yeah. point, killing Tywin is just another step in the process. Like, that scene, I felt, was much more powerful than him shooting Tywin, because it's already been decided yeah. at that point. Once he's killed Shay. Yeah. I just felt that was so like he's this, I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, the comparison when, like, Varys looks, you know, looks over and he hears, like, the bells, like, something's happening, just like, or even when he just, you know, picks him up over at the uh, at the door and, like, what have you done? As and if it's just like, Varys didn't have an idea, something like that was. Mm-hmm. That line, that, when, when Varys looks at him and says, what have you done, it, it was, uh... <laughs> Man, that was awesome. That guy, yeah. and I, I don't know the actor's name. I probably should have looked this up earlier. Conway Fairlight. Yeah. Man, has he been awesome. He's he's one of the most underrated actors on this whole you show. you got a point there. No, nobody, talks, nobody talks much about Varys because there's so many good performances, and his character's always so even-keeled and quiet. He doesn't get emotional. He doesn't, you know, he's just steady that I think he gets overshadowed. But, I mean, that guy's done just an awesome job. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, God, that was you saying, um, you know, as if, as if Varys doesn't yeah. know what he's done. Um, what I got from, from Conleth Hill and, and the way that she... That, that last part was shot was this looked like the first time Varys didn't know what was going on and he was lost you know he's had people telling him everything going on in the city for you know who knows how long and um you know he's been able to kind of figure out what people all are all about and what they're going to do with uh you know people that they like people that they don't like and i think he had never thought that Tyrion would go and kill Tywin. And so when he says, you know, what have you done? And when he hears the bells ring, I think you're seeing for the first time, 
you know, surprise and, and, uh, you know, he's not, I don't think he's sure of himself. He doesn't really know what he's doing now. That's the same thing I thought is that, you know, the points are Jamie let, let Tyrion out and Tyrion to go up the stairs and Varys is going to send him on his way. But when he shows up at the top of the stairs, he has blood on him. Then it, it's that utter shock. And I, I think Varys doesn't know, um, he doesn't know who Tyrion, he knows that someone's dead. He doesn't know who's dead until he hears those bells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I'm just but, so used to Varys having his finger in everything. I know it, it's so easy to just assume Varys and Littlefinger both always know everything that's going on. Mm. Look how many times Varys has now been outplayed, too. Yeah. When Littlefinger gave Roz to Jeff to Joffrey, um, Littlefinger orchestrating Joffrey's murder, uh, Tyrion now going off on his own, unpredicted, and, and killing Tywin and Shay. There's uh, Varys kind of realizes, as the, the master of, of lies or whatever, as the spider, he needs to uh, not be there when they find, you know, when they start doling out blame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I think he, he hops on that ship with Tyrion and, and realizes his time in King's Landing is probably over. Yeah, it's like, yep, well, f*** that. I'm not going back. <laughs> well, and that's a big theme of this episode. Like Waz said earlier, um, you know, we've got all these characters moving out onto different paths that we haven't seen. And like I said, I started reading the Game of Thrones books, and I was struck by a quote that I read earlier today. Um, it was in John's just getting ready to go with his uncle to the wall, and he's saying his goodbyes, and he goes to see Arya where he delivers Needle, um, and he's talking to her about their different paths, and the exact quote, I believe, is, different roads sometimes lead to the same castle. And I feel like it just, it really stuck, stuck with me because we're seeing all these characters heading out on these different paths that you just know are going to twist around and come right back on each other in some crazy way that I can't even predict yet. Mm-hmm. Well, what's crazy, look at this episode, how close Arya was to going to yeah. John. She tried to pay for passage to Castle Black. And even and, before uh, that, she was, you know, a conversation away from being back with Brienne, who at this point is probably the closest thing she has to family with John, you know, kind of his allegiance, you know, now with the Night's Watch, he, he doesn't really have a family or a castle. Um, it's still unknown what he can really do for Arya if they ever do, if they ever did meet up. Okay, you know? pause. Um, now that we brought it up, we, we got to talk about that Brienne hound fight. Cause holy <laughs> shit, that was a knuckle drag. That was no hold bar right there. That, that was as crazy. great as, as the Mountain Red Viper fight was, uh, this one was so much more enjoyable, I feel. There was a bit more tension on the Red Viper fight. This one, I was like, I was rooting for both. I couldn't figure out who I wanted to lose the fight. Yeah, that, yeah, it was the thing, fun. yeah. It was fun, because, yeah, you don't know who you're rooting for. And that's something that caught, you know, the book readers off guard. That's, uh, I mean, that scene definitely goes down differently in the books than really? it did in the show. So, yeah, so this is, uh, I'm really interested to see where they go from here. And you have to think, had had Arya not run and and gone with uh, Brienne, where is she well, taking her? Well, that's just it. The Hound's yeah, opening really statement good. there laid it out pretty clearly. Yeah. You know, what's safe now, you stupid bitch, I believe he said. <laughs> like, what's safe now? The Hound yeah, was keeping her safe. There's nowhere to go. Right. Yeah. They're they're so close to the Eerie, they just, they're not aware that Sansa's there. But even then, if Arya goes and, there, uh, now she's just another pawn with Littlefinger. And, I mean, Arya's yep. not standing up And for you that. have to worry, you have to worry about what Littlefinger would do in that case. I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't really know Littlefinger's intentions with Sansa, but it sounds like either he he is literally in love with her um, for being, you know, the, split, the splitting image of Catelyn, or he's using her as a pawn to get what he wants, and then if you put a second but, heir to Winterfell, 
in that building, you know, you got to wonder what Littlefinger would do with Arya in that circumstance. At the same time, though, and again, this was something that wasn't in the books, uh, the Littlefinger Sansa stuff's been in the show, and tell me Sansa hasn't climbed up a couple ladders, or a couple rungs on the ladder after, you know, a few weeks ago. Oh, absolutely. She's primed to take a central role in this ongoing struggle. I I feel like Arya going to Sansa now would be safer than had Arya been reunited with Sansa six weeks ago. When Sansa comes down those stairs, and she's dyed her hair to look more like Catelyn, that's a power play. I mean, she's now, she's in the game, she's ready to play, and I, I think having Arya there, it strengthens her position as much as it helps Littlefinger, um, because that gives Sansa finally one ally she can she can actually trust. Yeah, right I now kind of has- agree with you, but I also kind of don't, because Arya would be the first to kind of call Sansa out on like making these changes and working with Littlefinger. Because I-, I don't know, I I think. You have to take into account Arya and Sansa haven't seen each other yeah. since what, like the midway point of season one. one they've, yeah, they've both grown up quite a bit. I don't think Arya is going to be. Uh, um, well, Arya is you know a completely different person. Than yeah, she was when she Arya is out a of killer now. You know, she's murdered multiple people now. Well, and now let's speaking of that, she's murdered multiple people. The one that's on her list, she didn't finish off. That was cold. Yep. That was some cold, cold shit right there. Great. That stare down she's giving the hound while he tries everything he can to get her to kill him yep. is just I one of the greatest. Like, I mean, the, the idea of just like a begging for your own, like, you know, death, where you used to think of like people begging for mercy. Oh, I just try to goad her until it finally just breaks down. I was like, just do it. Like, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And then with it, she just picks up the bag of coins and walks. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and see, she just totally, she totally just dropped the mic right there. <laughs> like, peace out. See, here's my understanding talk of film, about, though. And just watching movies, to me, the Hound is now not... I mean, it's a Schrodinger's cat dilemma. We didn't see him die, so he's possibly still alive, right? Like, is that... Like, that's how I look at movies. If I don't see that character physically die on screen, there's a chance he could come back. Well, this is a show that that kills most people on screen. They don't do a whole lot of off-screen deaths, but... Yeah. He's pretty banged up. He's not walking away from there, but... Well, like like I say, even, even... Going through the books, I have no idea because, like I say, that whole part much different than than. Plus, in the we book. don't even know what Brienne and Tyrion do. Who knows? She might fix them up. We don't know. We did not see Cyril Pharrell die on screen either. It is that's in, true. It is implied. Arya thinks he's dead, but we didn't. Well, actually... Even the Hound says. How did he... Yeah, how does the first sword, you know, get killed by, uh, what do you, I can't remember the guy's name, but the hound calls him a c- it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to bleep that. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> we just saw in this episode, too, that the mountain yep. is still alive, right? You know, well, that's left very open-ended, but I don't know if everyone who watched the, the mountain and the viper um, were absolutely certain that the mountain survived that duel. Well, even in um, the scene with this finale, I had to rewatch it because I wasn't entirely sure that was the mountain they were talking about. I was kind of like, why Cersei cares so much? Who is that on the table? Because I didn't really click in right away. Well, yeah. hey, it was a poor couple weeks for House Clegane there. <laughs> the, uh, all I could think of when during the Brienne and Hound fight. Pay-per-view beatdown. When he grabs her and starts punching her in the face with his oh. uh, metal glove on, all I could think of was the mountain knocking out yeah. Oberon's teeth. Yeah. And I, I thought we were going to get a repeat of that. Every time the table and, turned uh, during that fight, I was like, no, I mean, yes. I mean, no, I mean, yes. Come on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why <laughs> can't your friends are both, you know, skilled giant warriors? 
They could have. They could have just teamed up. What a force! That's been a, well, four, pod, a fun foursome to watch. Can barely cook rabbits. Oh come on! I love, oh, but he is a useless pod. twat. I love Pod. He's trying hard. As much as I hated Samwell in like season two. Well, no, I don't hate Pod. He's too lovable. It's just he's useless. He's a useless tip. He's good at one thing. Hey oh. I, I, I don't get that reference. Am I a... Really? He's got a huge dick, Scoot. I don't remember that. Is that a standout moment of the books and TV show? Not the book. It's not in, in the book at all, yeah, but it was hilarious. Tyrion buys him the three whores, and then he comes back, and he's supposed to tell Tyrion and Bronn how it went because he was a virgin. Oh, the right. whores didn't charge him. They gave him his money back because he was so good in bed. I get that reference now. Wow, <laughs> I Well, I forgot. There's a lot to take in. Pod is not my main focus. He should be. <laughs> yeah. He f***ing should be. I'll keep I'm calling it right now. Podrick Payne takes the Iron Throne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spoiler alert. This little tit right takes it all. <laughs> takes down dragons. If George R. R. Martin lives long enough to finish, the, to finish this story, Podrick Payne's coming out on top. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, now I just kind of mentioned dragons. Uh, so speaking of dragons, <laughs> I was uh pretty surprised by the uh, Daenerys scene where she's locking up the dragons. Obviously, there's been steps leading up to that about how she can't control these new dragons, especially her uh, larger one. I can't remember his name. Dragon. Yeah. Um. So that was kind of a moving scene of her locking them down there. Obviously, that's kind of her like that's her claim. That's her claim to fame that she's locking underneath there. Yeah. It felt kind of weird to me. Like, obviously, she's got to protect her people, but, you know, you're the mother of dragons. That's I would be flying those dragons freely if you kill a child here and then <laughs> I apologize, but I'm the mother of epic dragons. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Sorry about that Chris but I'm the f***ing mother of dragons so. <laughs> it's the mother of f***ing dragons what now she's just some chick who freed the slaves but didn't really do it well because they still want to be slaves I think that scene is kind of representative you know it's kind of a metaphor for you know the position she's in right now because every time she tries to use her power she's finding you know she's making some bad calls and she's getting reckless and she, you know I think this is Mureen, I think, is the third town that she's conquered and freed the slaves now. And the last two she's hearing are going straight back into either, you know, the same situation or worse. You know, now she just found out that she freed a bunch of slaves and some of the slaves are, you know, they want to go back into... Contracted into, slavery. Uh, Her idealistic ways, while, you know, pure of heart and good intentioned... Not the way uh, the world. Uh, yeah. It, it, you can't just do a 180 on these things. This stuff needs time. You need to leave people there to, you know, build infrastructure, make sure yeah. these things work. And I think that's kind of important that you see her, you know, sacrificing her title a little. It's kind of her saying, I think I need to, you know, pull the brakes a little bit and, uh, you know, try to do this the right way. At least hopefully, you know, that's the direction she's going and she's not just going to drop the ball a second time. I don't think Marine can last a, lo a lot longer if she keeps making bad decisions. Well, I don't know. Maybe if those dragons took out a few more farm folk, it'd go along pretty well. That's true. She could just uh, take the place by uh, by fire. Now that now that she's dismissed Jorah Mormont, um, we're kind of at a point in Daenerys' storyline where I don't care about her for a little bit. Like, the uh, everything that's happened with her this season has been mostly shit I don't care about. I think 
think her her most important line was a couple weeks ago when she said, you know, when she finally decided to to stop, and she's like, I, you know, what I need to rule here. How can I rule Westeros if I can't even rule the city? So the fact that she's sort of slowing things down and is gonna, you know, learn how to become an actual leader, uh, I think, is important. But most of the the other stuff going on there, the the romance between Grey Worm and uh, Mersandi, could not care less about that. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I have to disagree with you there, Brian. The the best thing uh, Daenerys has said in this storyline so far is when she just straight up demands Dario take off her clothes. That is probably the most badass thing the show has done so far. So she just decides after this guy has been flirting with her for, you know, weeks or months or however long they've been traveling. And finally, she just kind of, you know, she makes up her mind. All right, cool. I'll give you a go. It's just... There's I'm going to no, kick the tires a little no, bit. Yeah, let's sure. see what's going on under here. Jorah Mormont was going about it all wrong, I guess. Exactly, you know? And she she doesn't say, like, let's go for coffee or, like, you know, what <laughs> what do you like to do go for, for fun? It's just, all right, you, you've piqued my interest. Strip, let's go. And I think that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, Doc, you're not wrong. I think, I mean, Khaleesi's story in the beginning was so interesting, and it was such a draw of why I got into Game of Thrones in the first place, just her and Khal Drogo and that entire lead-up. And then it kind of transitioned somewhere in the last season and a half where her story just is not what I'm looking forward to as much anymore, especially, like you say, now that she's slowed down a bit. I get it. It makes sense, but it's not as intriguing. And, and from somebody that, you know, did not read the books, and this is only gathering from my own research of, not really research, but what other people have been telling me, is that, you know, she doesn't really have a major role, so I feel like they're almost kind of like filling this up that, they didn't expect her to, you know, have as much popularity as she has had in the last few seasons, and now they're kind of just pumping extra stuff to kind of get her back on screen. Well, and, you know, what's, I mean, I, again, I have, to, I have to rely on both you and Waz, but uh, in terms of, like, her involvement in the books or at the stage of the time, but from what I heard, there's not too much, so it almost feels that, almost like a force-feeding it to us and like, well, let's add this subplot so we can kind of keep people appraised of what's going on Marine, you know? Well, to, well, well, to play devil's advocate, you know, the opposite end of that argument, you know, this is a character who's so important that they're really taking their time to show her develop almost beat by beat. Because she came out, you know, after Drogo's death, I'm taking over Westeros, that's my birthright. Well, that's We're season going. finale and, uh, of the first season. I mean, that was such a huge Daenerys moment. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think if you if you could look at it on the one way, you know, they've got nothing to do. They just got to have her sit around pitter-patter. The other thing is let's really get into, the, you know, the, the growth here and how she, she learns to be a better leader or how she loses that. You know, uh, one way or another, it's either they're, they've got nothing to do or they just really want to focus on it, you know, start to finish. Well, here's the, here's the thing. First of all, earlier when I was listening, we were talking about power shifting. We were listening to all the people who died in season one. Call Drogo was another major, like, when you're watching season one, you don't know what's going to happen. It seems like Call Drogo is going to be a major player for a long time. Every and then scene he, gets, he has, he's just kicking yeah, ass. And, and then he gets a scratch on his chest and <laughs> yeah. dies. Um, but with Daenerys, it's not so much that they're adding things. Now, the Grey Worm and Mersandi, that's been added. That was not in the book. But they're actually cutting out a ton of stuff because Daenerys has so many long chapters in the book. The problem is all those chapters, it's just her learning the politics of leadership. It's not that there isn't things um, that they could show. It's just there's nothing interesting to show. And I think that's why they're adding in these like love story angles, um, which I don't need because this is a dude podcast tonight. Dude podcast. We don't need <laughs> feelings. 
This ain't yeah. no Drew Barrymore movie. That's right. <laughs> Never been kissed. I don't care. You know, I think it's really a testament to Amelia Clark that even though I, I'm not as invested in Daenerys' storyline, I still love watching Amelia Clark portray this character in any scene yep. she's in. So yep. I'm not as interested. I still love watching Amelia Clark. I miss Jorah. I, I mean, Jorah was such a huge part of that storyline for so long. Obviously, there's no way he's gone from the show. I mean, I'm not naive to think that the last we saw of him was when he was rejected from Daenerys, but you know, I kind of want him back already. Well, you know, I mean, no one has seen Benjen since the first episode of the entire series. So again, That's it's true. not. I did get a. I did get a feeling from Benjen that he would be a big part and. He's been missing yeah. for how long now? Well, and and that, going back to, and I know Waz and I said, we don't want to harp too much on what's in the book and what the, what's being left out. and Because, again, I love what they're doing with the show. But there is a character in the brand storyline that gets introduced that in the books that we haven't seen in the show who I thought was, and it's another one of those mysterious figures you don't know when you're reading the book, you don't know exactly who he is, who I think is Benjen Stark. But um, I love that character, that uh, mystery, the mystery guy. Yeah, and we, I don't want to ruin anything because they may still introduce him later, but it, in the books he had already been introduced in the brand storyline by now, and I get the feeling they're just going to skip him like they did with Strong Belwas, who should be with Daenerys, um, should have been introduced when Barristan Selmy showed up. Um, but and that's one of those things, Brian, that, um, that you were talking talking about where you see where they're making changes and it doesn't really bother you too much. Um, I love this character that you're talking about, but it's something that we discussed where HBO does you know, a pretty good job of dealing with these um, instances where they're dealing with something that's supposed to be either very mysterious or supernatural um, or just kind of hidden. You know, you're not supposed to really know what you're looking at. HBO does a good job of trying to maintain that level of curiosity and, and uncertainty. And they, they this is probably something that they're doing. You know, maybe this character will appear later, but the way that he's introduced in the book, certainly, you know, they couldn't really do that with any ambiguity. It would be one way or the other. And that's right. all you're going to get. And I think... I think that's probably part of why he was left out. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there's now been three or four characters who I really, really like in the books who have not shown up in the show. And I understand part of that is because they are cool and mysterious in the book and they wouldn't be nearly as mysterious in the show. Right. I mean, it's something uh, that we talked about uh, as well when we were talking about it earlier. You mentioned um, how uh, Barristan Selmy, uh, when he appears in the show, um, you know, right away he lifts up his hood and you know who it is immediately. You know, unless you're <laughs> Scott and you have trouble remembering names. <laughs> Barristan Sandwich? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> but uh but in the in the books, you know, this character, Daenerys has never met Barris and Selmy. So he's around for, you know, quite some time before anyone the reader even figures out who that is. Obviously, yeah, it's like a full like almost a full book, you know, <laughs> like before yeah. you realized who it is. Um, um, so that's something where, you know, rather than do something hokey, you know, like have his face covered, uh, you know, for, for half a season or whatever, just, you know, just take the hood off and, and let's move forward. They, obviously that character plays an important part in Daenerys's, you know, uh, leadership. Um, and so he needs to be there. This other character and maybe some of the others, I'm not entirely sure who you're referring to. Uh, but those characters, you know, obviously HBO didn't think were, you know, vital and, um, Right, and a lot of these, a lot of these characters are cool, but they don't necessarily drive plot, which is why, even though I love them in the book, I'm not super pissed they aren't in there. You know, 
And that's just kind of what's such a great appeal of this show is it's the art of adapting a book properly. You know, knowing yep. when to streamline characters or even, you know, I know we've talked about how Braun himself is a combination of characters. And I love Braun. Yeah. Braun's one of my favorites on the show in that kind of story element. And this is yeah, what separates like... a bad show from a good show. A bad adaptation from a good one is, it's like you say, you trust Weiss and Benioff, and it's because of these decisions that you do trust them, right. because they are doing it properly. Yeah, Braun is a combination of characters. Dario Naharis has been given some of the stuff Bellwas was to do. Um, there is one character, though, and we won't get too much into detail about her, um, mm, yes. but there is a character, and it was all over the internet today. Uh, I was expecting to see her show up at the end of the finale. A lot of people were um lady stoneheart lena hetty actually on her own instagram sort of put out a, a a little spoiler thing she just put out a heart um a pile of stones but in the shape of a heart teasing that like lady stoneheart would show up and she did not so um this just goes into again is this a character that that they don't feel is important enough to include because she doesn't drive enough a plot is it just that she's a cool character in the book and they don't want to put her in there um, i'll jump in here quickly and just say that this character is very spoilerish and both chris and i who haven't read the book unfortunately had this character spoiled for us yeah. via the internet thanks internet yeah thanks internet if you don't like spoilers, do not Google Lady no, Stoneheart. Don't, oh, yeah, people do not. Read the books, God, though, no. don't even for bother. people who read the books, I'm sure that along with Waz and I, you're probably disappointed that she didn't pop up. I expected that to end the season, her her appearance, though the uh, the, the shot of Arya on the boat was rather, rather poetic. As Scoot said earlier off-air when we were talking earlier today, it was a poetic was sort of way to... Yeah. It was hopeful. And that's just exactly. what I think. I think it that's was kind of the reason why Stoneheart hasn't been introduced yet. Because that would have drastically altered the ending of this season. Honestly, it would be so emotionally exhausting. I, can, I understand why they didn't want to introduce a new character right at mm -hmm. the end of the season. It was the... I think people were expecting it only because it happened in the epilogue of Book 3. And it was uh, it was sort of a shocking way to end Book 3. And uh, I mean, th this totally worked, though. So yeah, I, I'm I hoping that they include her next season but again she's not at least through you know the end of book three and then books four and five she's not pivotal to plot like you can do the show without her um so i am curious to see you know what they do with it well i think i think you're right i think the the important thing to take away with this is what they were you know the tone they were setting at the end of this of this episode you know the finale leading into where you're gonna wait 10 months well and that was kind of what was different about this Most the months. end of this season is you know, i kind of had a smile on my face when it ended i was horribly crushed that it was over but i was happy because welcome to our world man <laughs> yeah no <laughs> doubt I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad Arya's going out on the boat. That was something I've been waiting for her to really head out to Bravos for a while now. It's been pointing to that direction for a bit with both her dancing teacher, Kroner, you know his name. Serial Pharrell. And, uh... My favorite character ever. And the, I want to say Three-Fingered Man, is that correct? Nope. Jack and Hagar. The man who kills three people. I've been waiting for her to yeah. head to Bravos for, I mean, a while now, until, I guess, the Hound kind of derailed season, that. But, season yeah, two. it's been a bit. That was the end of season two when he gave her the coin. And I love the, the face coin. on the merchant when he gets that coin. 
It's just instantly. And then he turns to her kind of hesitatingly, and then she drops the Valor Margolis, and just boom, right away, we got you a cabin. You are set up. Yeah. And she's off. Yeah. Awesome. She is peacing out. She's getting the hell out of this it went, right, it went from get off my fucking boat to here's yeah. a free cabin. You know, what can I do for you? Which makes you wonder what Jack and, you know, what kind of power he holds and what he's doing now. But but I think I think what I wanted to, you know, address now is like, let's go over while you're talking about all these characters getting kind of a new beginning or, you know, in different places. You know, look at how this show has shown growth in characters. You've got John, who was in the beginning of the series, a young guy who is incredibly insecure about his parentage and is being a bastard. And now he, you know, ends the second last episode for at least part of this battle, you know, taking up the role of Lord Commander, you know, willing to sign his life away to protect the realm from, uh, from the violence. You know, he's had a few, yeah, definitely a lot like his father. You, and then if you move on to all of the characters, they've all had, you know, a pretty substantial growth. Tyrion is someone who comes into the show early, very likable because he's so funny and and seems to you know be the only person kind of winking at the camera about everything that's going on by the end of this episode you know he's a beaten man he is a very dour uh person who's you know had his whole perspective on on life as a whole well, and he's gone from you know uh, drunkard dark sheep of the family to hand of the king to savior of the battle of blackwater to killer of his own kin and his progression is i love Kingslayer. that Kingslayer name by the way because that ties in perfectly with jamie and i love all the nicknames everybody has it's kind of like the geek exchange staff crew because obviously if anybody's <laughs> listening uh we have all nicknames for each other some of them make sense some of them don't it's okay it's okay you know who's somebody we haven't seen a lot of this season? Well, I guess maybe we've seen her a bit this season, but Stannis' daughter, who I yeah. I was given the impression through her and uh, Davos' interactions oh, that she was going to have a more uh, prominent role. Yeah, she kind of just like there, and then it's just like, oh, they're going to build into something, and then it's just like, nope. Out. They did show her in the finale, though, didn't she? They did, yeah. She, she was, was there. Least... Oh, she was there? I, 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 didn't, I didn't see her there. It's real brief. It's like, a, it's like a wide shot. They don't focus on her, but her and Celise are there when they're burning the bodies oh, okay. at the at the yeah no um, dialogue that's kind of an interesting thing too because yeah she's not given much you know to do although she does get some odd focus at certain points but Stannis is a character who hasn't been given much personality in the show but I think that's a good it's a good way of showing that you know he's got a life and a family he's not just some guy who doesn't you know show any emotion and stares at a table and demands he be king you know he's got he's got things going on as well he's got activities hobbies on the side <laughs> stuff things getting back to what, what we were talking about a minute ago with uh with Tyrion, which is obviously i mean the main part of this episode is um this whole season sort of been built around you know after joffrey's death after joffrey's death the rest of the season is mostly based around uh, Tyrion's trial and uh, Tyrion being accused of killing his heinously awful nephew. In the show, though, Tyrion was much more likable in this finale than he was through those scenes in the books, at least for me. Because one major thing that they changed after Jamie lets him out in the books, he sort of turns Jamie against him. Tyrion's so angry at everyone against the whole world that he's sort of become bitter. And I feel like they're taking that a little differently yeah, in the get show. That at all um, when he was being rescued. Brian's right. I mean, he kind of spurns his his relationship with Jamie almost on on the turn of a coin. And it's kind of surprising how it happens. It's so heartbreaking because Jamie is such, you know, he's the only person who you see give Tyrion 
really like you know a, a complete unconditional family love and, and respect and just to watch that happen is such a turnoff with this character who you've been rooting for for so long and then yeah i mean it's something that i've talked about with brian before is Tyrion is at this point in the books just like a very angry person incredibly angry and like you can really feel that he's all the injustices that have happened to him are just completely coming to light. It changes the tone completely from that very last scene. If he were to turn on Jamie the way he does in the books, because like you said, it's it's like so on a dime, it's so quick. I feel like it would have been out of character. It wouldn't have worked as well on the show as it did in the book. Yeah, I don't think it was a bad choice. I just think it yeah. was... Um, it's something, it's, you know, it's something that we've got the but, books. The books will stay there and be told right. that way, you know? It's no, and of, I, again, I'm not complaining. I'm just curious now where they take it because that was a real character change for Tyrion in the book. And I feel like now I, I'm curious to see what happens next. I feel like the dominoes might fall differently just because he doesn't seem nearly as angry and bitter. Well, and he also hasn't burned that bridge with his brother. Exactly. I think, it's, I think it's definitely one of those things we were talking about before. I mean, that's now put viewers of the show and readers of the books, you know, on the most equal footing we've ever had going into a new season. I mean, I'm completely just curious and excited about, you know, what will change and what will be new for me when the show comes back in 2015. Exactly. And it's not a thing where, like, I'm dreading it, like, oh, man, what are they going to change next? I hope they, they stay in the book. I'm excited. I Some of my favorite moments have been things that they changed just because it was new. It's Weiss and Benioff are making the show their own. It's kind of fun to not know what's happening anymore. You know, that kind of takes us into an interesting direction, too, because they obviously are making this show their own, but they're also starting to catch up to this source material that, Without a doubt. Like, I mean, at the rate he's going, I'm hearing projections of we're not even going to see the end of this book until 2016. You know, maybe they've got two stretched out seasons uh, left of material. Again, this is just what I've been reading, not what I know personally. But it's going to get to that point where not only are they taking this show out on their own, but they've now surpassed the knowledge of everybody currently reading. Based on material left, they could definitely get two, maybe even three seasons left. The problem is you'd have to have huge gaps with some of the characters because with the fourth and fifth books they don't follow each other they run concurrent oh really yeah there's a lot of characters that can go a long time without showing up what they did was like we're talking about here the characters have spread mm. spread out you know into so many different places by this point in the story that george R. R. martin couldn't fit each of those arcs into a single book so what he did was he told you know, this half of the characters, what happened from point A to point B, and then in the next book, he went back to point A and told, you know, from the same timeline what was happening to the other half of the characters in the series, which kind of takes one book out of that gap between the series and the books. Because Yeah, so even though there's books four and five left, that stuff is all running at the same time, and a lot of book four is inner monologue stuff, which is for is going to be cut. But there's also, there's a ton of new characters to introduce. Well, we've lost pretty much all um, of the old ones. <laughs> exactly. There's so many new characters to introduce that, I mean, they're not going to have a problem filling time, but I do wonder, and it makes me happy that I I didn't go through the books until after all five were out, because for people who read, like if you read book three right when it came out, you had the Red Wedding, and you had the, the Purple Wedding, and you had the Mountain versus versus the Red Viper, and then you have Tyrion kill his father and Shay and escape on the boat. boat. Right. Yeah. So there, that book ends, and then it was something like five or six years before Ugh. the fourth book came out, and then it was another like five or six years before the, the binge watcher in me out. is crying and out. The fourth, 
Right. So that and that fourth book only covered half the characters. So there were storylines that you really wanted to see what happened next from book three, where you had to wait like eleven <laughs> years. And I, I I could be off on that. I don't remember the, exactly when they were You're released. Not too far off. But, and I gotta say, because I did the same thing. I also read one to five, you know, in sequence. And I can't imagine when you open book four, I think it is, and there's that little little tiny paragraph from George that says, you know, hey guys, story's gotten so big that I've uh, decided to just tell half the story at this point, and then you can look forward to the other characters uh, in book five. Damn you! Damn you! I start flipping through the book looking for Johns in somewhere. Oh, he's got this one. I went through all five books and you know back to back to back you know in uh, in a matter of a couple months so i didn't have that i still book four is by far my least favorite because the way the books are written and scoot i'm sure you've noticed this as you, you've started reading each chapter is from the perspective of a different character yeah, different point of view so they'll pick like seven or eight characters each book and they'll rotate through them and that's that you're seeing everything happen sort of from their perspective and the characters aren't the same every book but when you get to book four the characters whose focus they use a lot of people that I don't care about and you're getting inner monologue of these characters that I know will be cut from the show so I'm curious to see what they're going to do in relation to you know how quickly because last we heard uh, Martin had only handed in 168 pages to his editor if that's true and that's only a couple weeks ago and this is a book that you know a lot of people thought would be done by now if my memory serves correctly book four is where readers were introduced to reek yeah. Theon gets bonked on the head and he knocked unconscious. Which is book in, readers had yeah. that moment in book two? Yep. I think? Second book, second season, and, and then nothing. You right. You don't see Theon again. You don't see him for the rest for the rest of book two or book three, which means I don't know how many years until book four comes out. And when yeah. you're reading book four, you don't know that's Theon. Right. He's just called see, that's such an interesting so, dynamic that's lost in the translation to TV because I mean getting to know Theon Greyjoy in the books and then separately getting to know Reek in the books and only to find out those two are the same that would be such like an aha moment yeah yeah because yeah. I, I imagine a lot of people throughout the books assumed Theon was dead you know he gets knocked out at Winterfell in book two and then you know that's all you get and that's what I was talking about earlier how because they're not running at the exact same pace as the books here you'd have to have huge games gaps without characters that's why they're jumping ahead so all the stuff in season three and four with theon and um and ramsey was actually from book four that that stuff theoretically shouldn't even have showed up until season five if they were following well, and that's the kind of the beauty of television though if by what you're describing books four and five to me as i would imagine the producers of the television show to look at those two books as one entity because i mean that's how tv works exactly yeah, for sure. and they've They've already they've already taken a lot of stuff from those books and used it in the show already. So they're now instead of where season one was mostly just all book one and season two was mostly book two. Starting with season three, from there on, they just looked at the whole story and said, "We're not gonna we're no longer gonna look at it as book." three book four book five we're just this is the story and we're gonna tell it and they just sort of shuffled some stuff around and and because they don't want to on tv especially you don't want to have two full years in between episodes with Alfie allen you know once you've established theon you want to wait two years and have the television viewer forget who that guy is when he finally shows up again 
I was ju- it just struck me, you know who else we didn't see too much of in these last couple episodes? Any Tyrells. There's, yeah, we haven't seen Marguerite. There's true. no work. Um, obviously, Tommen's a uh, Baratheon, but he's kind of linked with Marguerite. No Sir Pounce. Fuck Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce? <laughs> <laughs> Man, the internet went crazy for a cat on television. Holy shit. Oh, man. <laughs> you should have seen the shitstorm that came when they still had to announce that Sir Pounce <laughs> would not return. Yeah, I know. That was just stupid. <laughs> but yeah, I did find it odd um, that we didn't see any Tyrell presence, considering that now, when looking at the houses left in Game of Thrones, you know, Tyrells are kind of up there, because Lannisters mm-hmm. have obviously been heavily neutered. We've... Well, But also, the... speaking of neutered, we haven't seen Theon or... Yep. Uh, uh, his sister. Yeah, we haven't seen any of the uh, yeah, Ironborn for a while. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Greyjoys. That's why I think now that you've killed off so many characters, and and the Tyrells, the Lannisters, the Starks, those are three of the the main seven families. You know, you've got the seven families that rule each one of the kingdoms. And it's the Starks, the Tyrells, the Lannisters, the Baratheons, the Martells, and Dorne. You've got the Greyjoys. Who am I forgetting? Oh, and the Aarons and the Eerie. Um, well, the the one family we haven't seen much of yet is the Martells outside Ooh, I'm of Oberyn. Very Oberon. excited. To see. And, I can't uh, wait to see more of Dorne. Yeah, that's why I think season five is going to have a large focus on Dorne and on the Greyjoys. The casting for season five yeah, has revealed that. Yeah, location scouts are um, I don't know how... I think in Spain for uh, Dorne locations. Yeah. And I don't know how much, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with where the story is headed, you might not want to look too much into that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, it's, it would be bad storytelling if Oberyn, you know, showed up from this far off land, died, and then that was all you ever heard about uh, the entire right. Oberyn, anyway. his part yeah. kind of just well, I, intrigued I think... me further as to, because, I mean, he's got yeah, a I... huge family himself. How many daughters does he have? You know, his older brother, I, I remember they mentioned in the episode as well. The, the thing is, in the book, there's so many other prominent families besides those main seven, and there's already so many characters in the show that they just couldn't take the time to, to introduce all these other characters. That's why I think over the next couple seasons, you're going to see a lot more houses pop up. There's a lot of other rich families, rich powerful houses well, that we just haven't what seen this yet. finale did i think was it's almost the closing of a chapter and the starting of a new one well you know it is because it's book adaptation so that uh is very apt yep <laughs> but it, that's what it felt like i felt like there was a bit of closure uh with this season finale and you know everything's starting up new for season five i don't even want to start speculating i mean because obviously we could be going anywhere but it's exciting yeah. <laughs> i think i've got i've got a question to kind of round out our, our game of thrones discussion here is um, who do you see now, with all of the changes that have happened, who do you see now as your protagonist of this series? Who's your main character at this point in the show? Oh, for me, it's, uh, you know, I gotta go with Arya. Um, I mean, there's... Arya's just the one that you want to follow because it's like her journey of just being, you know, wanting to kind of rise up mm-hmm. and then doing whatever she can to survive and doing whatever it takes. Yeah. I mean, it's a great character arc for her, and I didn't mean to interject on you. No, that's, you nailed it on the head. Where, I mean, obviously, there's so much to follow with Arya, whether it's character growth or just enjoying the character, but in terms of story and uh, how this character is going to, you know, factor into the overall end game, which we can only assume at this point, I think she's the one to watch, for sure. Yeah. Especially now going to Bravos to learn all these different tricks of the trade that have been teased in the beginning, whether it's sword fighting or arts of an assassin or, you know, whatever comes their way in Bravos. I agree with, with Scoot and Tan on Arya as far as, I mean, she's definitely my favorite character and has yeah. been ever since, you know, she first started learning the sword with Serial Pharrell in season one. Arya has been my favorite 
but I mean, if I didn't know anything going forward and I didn't, you know, based just off what we've seen on the show, as far as who the protagonist is, you'd have to think Jon yeah. Snow. Yeah. Um, you have to, you'd have to think Stannis is going to become a much bigger player than he has been thus far, which he's been, even with his attack on King's Landing, he's still been kind Separate, of a, almost. you know, secondary yeah. character. He's kind of been in his own role um, until he's now crossed yep. over, obviously, into the North story. Obviously, Daenerys is always going to be a focus, but I mean, I think as far as characters who weren't already a focus, I mean, Arya and Daenerys and Jon Snow were, I think Stannis becomes mm-hmm. a bigger uh, focus, just based on the show, not talking about the books because um, again we don't know what they're going to do on on the show yeah uh, and i think that's a good thing to point out is that anything that brian and i have discussed you know in terms of the future of the show we're talking about from the perspective of where the show is at now based on all only what the show has portrayed you know this is the season's over it's unfortunate but it always has to happen it was a great season but now that we're here and we have no game of thrones to look forward to you know what now i mean usually we end these podcasts with the geeking out, but I think tonight we're just going to talk about what do we do with ourselves now? Uh, Croner, do you have any ideas? Well, I mean, you guys know me. I'm a TV junkie. Uh, Game of Thrones is my favorite thing on television, but there's plenty of other shows that I can watch. Um, after we suffer through this last season of True Blood, we'll get some more Boardwalk Empire. Longmire's on right now. I'll get another season of Justified before Game of Thrones is on. There's so much good television out right now, and I think not everybody recognizes it because it's so bogged down with uh, reality TV crap and and exploitive cable news programs and I, I just think there's so many shows deserving of attention that don't get it. Is this a Terrier's uh, rant? <laughs> Scoot, everything is a Terrier's rant. Everything eventually leads back to Terrier's was a sweet show and you know what? Actually, that sounds like a great oh. idea. The current season of Louie ended. It was awesome. I started re-watching the old HBO series Lucky Louie, also starring Louis C.K. I think after I whip through this, I think it might be time for uh, yet another watch through of Terriers. It's 13 hours well spent. <laughs> Was, uh, what the hell are you going to do with your life, bud? <laughs> That's a really good question. There are pretty much only two things that I do. Uh, Game of Thrones and video games. And both of those are pretty much on hiatus until spring 2015 uh, by the looks of things. Witcher? Three, maybe? <laughs> got Witcher, we got Bloodborne, who knows? All these things may be coming around next Game of Thrones. I think Brian's right. I think the answer is TV. And uh, with uh, with Game of Thrones gone, I can finally put some of my emotional investment into some really heavy stuff. So I'm going to finally catch up, watch the second season of Hannibal. And, excellent. Uh, I think the second season finally, was excellent. That's what I'm hearing. I hear it's uh, much bigger, grosser, and better. And uh, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out Fargo and uh, finally watch True Blood. Uh, sorry, not True Blood. Oh, you're in for a good, good watch. Wow. There you go. Just <laughs> Fargo and True Detective. Huge recommendations on both. True Blood. Do not waste your time. That was an accident. Don't worry. I'm not. <laughs> uh, Tansuchi, uh, what now? Just kind of like with Waz. I mean, you have like the video games and Game of Thrones and. Now I guess I could probably kind of jump back into the video game world, although, again, TV, because I guess that's what we do. It's really just like Game of Thrones, TV, video games, and then like a movie. And I, obviously we're still in the midst of the, the summer season movie season, so maybe I'll probably end up watching, like, go out, see more oh, movies. No. TV, I still have to catch up on True Detective and uh, Fargo for sure. 
I kind of want to go back in. I know that recently 22 Jump Street was released. Funny movie. I like the second. I like the first one better than the second one, but it's still really funny with the pop culture references. And it was actually directed by Bill, Bill Lord and Christopher Miller. Yeah, and who also did Clone High. And I want to go back somewhere. I have a Clone High full the, the whole season series, I guess for that matter. And I love that, and that's what the cartoons that they uh, were responsible for. And I'm going to go back and watch those. And then I have also a copy of The Last of Us, which I totally bought on the recommendation of both Scoot and Waz, and I have yet to touch and open for me. Personally, I have decided not to take any time away from Game of Thrones as I have started to read the series. I'm, I'm going to become a book reader just like you guys. Just like I, I aspire to be a, one of those pretentious book readers who talk about how, how much better it is than the TV show. I'll give you a key to our club. We uh, <laughs> we drink we drink malt liquor and, and, and discuss malt liquor. <laughs> malt liquor and spoiled yeah. milk with eyeballs. Yeah. You guys in your 40s and <laughs> disgusting drinks. And that's really He's all I old that's really all I can think of to fill the hole is more Game of Thrones. It's got to be done. There you go. Thank you once again to uh, Scoot, Waz, and Croner. Valar uh, Margulis. Valar Margulis. Valar Margulis. As always, you can uh, read our stuff on geekexchange.com. I know that Waz has been doing a lot of great uh, Game of Thrones articles on there uh, that's been following us, so do check out those, you know, the keyword Game of Thrones, and you can check those out. Geekexchange.com. You can also follow us on uh, Facebook. Like our page. It's uh, facebook.com slash geekexchange. And you can also follow us on the good old social networking of Twitter and Instagram. It is at geekexchange. Our podcasts are always on iTunes. Subscribe to us, and you can follow us on Sound. SoundCloud as or well. On Stitcher Radio. Uh, once again, Amanda would love for me. Are we Stitcher Radio as well. Stitcher Radio. Boom. Amanda's there not here. Yeah, but if I don't say yeah. it, she'll Dude, yell nice. at me, and I can't handle that. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thanks again, everybody, for uh, listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>